Welcome to Eagle Clinical's Expert Update, the business of natural health. Whether you're working full-time in clinic, if it's your side hustle, or if you are thinking about starting a business in natural health, this podcast is for you. Your host, naturopath and educator, Lawrence Katsaris, will interview industry experts to share easy-to-consume expert updates. With the help of the experts, Lawrence will aim to simplify some of the more confusing questions that emerge when running a business, so you can get on with the more important things. Hi, and welcome to Eagle Clinical's Expert Update, the show that speaks to industry experts and covers various topics around the business of natural health. I'm your host, Lawrence, and today is part one of a series on navigating the regulatory landscape in complementary medicine. We are diving into a variety of common questions to provide clarity around the issues that arise when it comes to compliance and regulatory affairs. Despite many of our natural healthcare practitioners undergoing four years of tertiary study, Regulatory affairs is not an area that is taught formally in the education. So today I have joining us our guest, Sue Walt, the Regulatory Affairs Manager at Integria Healthcare. Sue is a qualified naturopath and has over 30 years of her experience spanning across all areas of complementary health industry, specialising in regulatory affairs and compliance. Sue lives and breathes reg affairs and believes a good eye to detail and strong interpersonal skills are critical for success in her role. So Sue, thanks so much for joining us on the episode today. Hi Lawrence, and thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. You're right, regulatory affairs can be a bit of an unknown territory for many natural health practitioners. Quite recently, I was at lunch with a colleague who was a professor at a local university, and she mentioned that her PhD students were unaware of what it meant by Austell medicine. This is something which I would have thought most people, particularly healthcare professionals, would have been aware of this may not be the case. You're right, I've had similar conversations, Sue, in speaking with practitioners. I think it's something that is really important that we cover as a nice basic overview in our regulations in Australia and how this impacts the way practitioners do their business because it's not just a matter of knowing about regulatory affairs, this impacts how a practitioner can practice. So can you please start by telling us why complementary medicines in Australia are actually regulated? It's a complex system, but first and foremost, it's about ensuring public safety. The regulatory authorities in Australia are known as the Therapeutic Goods Administration or the TGA, and are set up to enforce minimum standards for compliance and to ensure public safety. The TGA also ensure that marketing and advertising of complementary medicines is to be conducted in a manner that is socially responsible and does not mislead or deceive the consumer in any way. Most importantly though, such regulations promote the quality use of the product so that manufacturers are held responsible for providing quality complementary medicines. The TGA enforce processes such as stability programs to ensure a complementary medicine contains what it says on the label, that the ingredients in the product are stable and that the product is still viable at the end of shelf life. These products must be manufactured in a TGA licensed facility and therefore becoming available to the market, it must be listed on the Australian Register of the Therapeutic Goods, known as the ARTG. When listing a product on the ARTG, a sponsor, that is the medicine owner, must declare that they hold evidence to support any of the indications attached to that product. For example, if it is a B vitamin product and there is an indication for beneficial for energy production, 
then the sponsor must hold evidence to support that indication. And the TGA may request that evidence at any time during a post-market review. It's quite the rigorous process, isn't it? And I think that the TGA is probably known as being one of the strictest regulatory bodies for complementary medicines in the world. Um, so what does this mean for products then that are purchased if a practitioner or an individual's buying products from overseas? So in Australia or around the world, I should say that complementary medicines are considered um, of a high standard within the Australian environment. And we're well respected across the world because of our rigorous regulatory conditionings. Um, products around the world, like in the US, are considered dietary supplements and they do not need to be registered with the FDA or they do not require to have a registration number. So tracking or tracing of that product could be difficult. Um, they do not need to be manufactured in a licensed facility under the strict GMP conditions that are mandated within Australia. And it is becoming common for patients to buy their supplements online from international websites. And that can be problematic. And it is important for you as practitioners to know that if your patients are purchasing products from overseas, that they're potentially buying a suboptimal supplement, which may be putting their health and safety at risk. There are no processes in place to ensure that the product contains what it says on the label, that the product is stable, or it will provide clinically efficacious results. And there are other considerations when purchasing online from overseas suppliers, is things like contamination, such as microbial content or heavy metals. In Australia, we test for these in our products. Therefore, it is important to look out for products which have an Austell number on their label. This can usually be found on the front panel of your labels. This way you know that they are regulated in Australia and under the TGA's mandate. This information is publicly available so practitioners or patients can access the ARTG and search for products if they want to check if it's on the register. So really what you're saying here Sue is that by buying a product that is Austell, that's that's listed medicines with the TGA, we then know that we're getting a product that contains what it says it should and that's been made by a manufacturer of a high standard. And I think that there's been many examples when, you know, when we think back over the, even the last couple of years, there's examples of where individuals might buy a supplement from overseas and there might be contamination issues of whether it's microbial, like you said, or it's got ingredients in there that actually aren't in, in the label that aren't listed in that product then they might start to be experiencing you know, problems or side effects from that product because they're actually taking something that they didn't know they were taking because it's not listed on the label. So the importance of buying and using Austell products or prescribing Austell products to our patients is, is pretty clear. So can practitioners sell products that are not listed on the ARTG though? Legally, no. There is a section in the regulations which allows you to purchase up to three months supply for personal use. However, that is not for selling these onto patients. So there is that little loophole, which I know that has been taken advantage of at times, but they are not Austell products. They're not manufactured under the rigorous TGA requirements. Um, and as you said, that there are products that contain contaminants or 
Another issue we have found that some of those products can, are adulterated with other herbs or with other things. So, you know, grapeseed is typical for adulteration with peanuts. So, you know, getting an Ostel product for your patient is critical because all of those issues relating to counterfeit products or um, cross-contamination are all, you know, covered off by the TGA and under the GMP requirements for manufacturing of those products. I, just thinking about if someone was contaminated with peanuts is a huge problem if you've got a person who's anaphylactic to peanuts, which oh, is becoming more and more common. Absolutely. And you might think you're prescribing a, a product to a patient thinking that it's safe and then it turns out there's actually cross-contamination with allergens which you have no idea about yeah and that's where also i guess being able to when you're buying these products from quality manufacturers you're able to check allergen and excipient information as well which is different to the the listing of it but i guess with the listing there still also needs to be known about the excipients and everything else that is in that product as well well i guess one of the like it's not only the manufacturing with our products it's the labeling requirements that are set out for Australian listed medicines. It's a really strict guideline on what we have to put on the label. So allergen statements um, to any possible dietary allergens. Also, there are some ingredients that may have an, you know, an, an effect on persons or shouldn't be taken during pregnancy or should not be taken if you're on certain prescription medications. So all of those warnings are included on the labels for Australian listed products. Overseas, they don't aren't required to list all of those warnings that we have to list here. So, so that just brings up the topic again of safety for your patients. So we're, the Australian regulatory environment is all about the safety of the end user of the products. Where unfortunately, other regulatory bodies around the world don't have that same strict requirement. Not not as stringent as we are here in Australia. Which is great, and that's why Australian products are held to such a high premium standard across the world is because of these regulations from the yeah, TGA. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been talking a lot about Ostel medicines and looking for Ostel on the label and using like listed medicines. There's also OSTR products, isn't there? And that's a different category of medicines. Can you give us a bit of an outline on the difference between OSTR and OSTL medicines? So probably 99% of the complementary medicines in the market are OSTLs, um, which are, from the TGA's perspective are considered low risk medicines and are formulated from a predetermined approved list of ingredients. The, the Ostel process allows for a more rapid access to market. Um, however, at the time of listing a product, the company must sign a statutory declaration stating that they're complying with all the applicable regulation re requirements. So with an OSTR, mainly that refers to prescription or OTC products. So, you know, your paracetamols, your ibuprofens, um, your prescription cholesterol lowering, your lipid cholesterol medicines. Um, that's what they really apply to. However, we have a few OSTAR complementary medicine products. And one of those, I guess, that is well known in Australia is Elevit. Um, so that's an, a registered complementary medicine, um, which allows them to have a higher dose of, of certain ingredients that aren't allowed in a listed medicine. But it is a much rigorous um, application process to go through to get that. 
And it's that rigorousness of the comp- the, the listing process, which is why, because I know some practitioners might think, well, why would you not just register all complementary medicines then? Mm-hmm. There's a cost and there's a, pr- a process involved in that in terms of also level of evidence, isn't there? Yeah, so the process is quite lengthy. It can take you know up to two years to get a, pr- a product through the registration process. You also need to have done clinical trials on your product. You require toxicology data, um, safety data, and the expense of all of that can be can run into hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so, it the listed medicine route is the quick to market to be able to you know have a product that we know is safe because the TGA have approved pre-approved those ingredients that can be used in that product. Where with the cost involved in registered medicines, pharmaceutical companies are able to pursue that line because they're mm-hmm. able to then often get patent on that ingredient, run that for five years, and then they're able to recoup those expenses. Where unfortunately, or you know, more so fortunately, because herbs and nutrients are available for all, mm-hmm. uh, a manufacturer of complementary medicines can't necessarily patent that and then just be you know pushing that through to a registered medicine yeah that's correct and there are some complementary medicines that are also registered as well like one that comes to mind is trestles b um so could you explain how like you explained like elevate as as one but how are there also some others that are allowed to be that are registered and i guess are the exception to the rule that we're just talking about there yeah so there is a few that are the exception to the rule um, when the TGA implemented the um, register for listing our products at around 1990, um, there was a number of products that were on the market and that had been on the market for quite a number of years and had a really good safety profile to them. So the TGA decided that they would grandfather those products and they would fall into the OSTAR, a special category known as grandfathered OSTAR products. So they containing some of the ingredients that are within those formulations that are not available in the listed medicine route. Um, some of them have over the years come onto the list to be used, but others, particularly like the Tresos B, which is quite a unique original formula mm. um, that has some really nice ingredients in there that are not available in the listed medicine process. And it's fantastic that Tresos remains the same product like it has been for over 60 years and it's because it's, it's got access to these ingredients which now essentially if you were to turn around and try and make that product again, you can't put some of those ingredients in. No, not in a listed medicine. You'd have to go down the registration route. And then go, go with those complications that we've been yeah, talking about. Yeah. And I think that it's also worth practitioners understanding that then once you've got a grandfathered product, that product then can't be changed because any time you try and change ingredients within a product, you have to go through a whole listing of yes. that product again, don't you? Yeah. So if you were to try and change just one simple ingredient in Tresos B, that would then end up having to relist that supplement and, and you'd then lose access to those because it's got ingredients in there that are, aren't listable essentially. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's the, the remit for keeping these as a registered grandfathered product is that nothing changes within the formulation at all. Yeah. Um, so it just stays as that original formulation that had, you know, the, the good safety profile attached to it. Yeah. Now in terms of, accessing ingredients that are on that pre-approved list this is a question that comes up from practitioners a lot of the time is 
why don't you have a product with X ingredient or why don't you have a product with Y ingredient or can we get that where often it's because those ingredients aren't pre-approved, they're not on the listable medicines to be used. Could you just expand on the list of pre-approved ingredients? So the TGA have um, a list which is called the permissible ingredients list um, which is published and those ingredients have been assessed by the TGA as you know low risk um, safety safety use. safe to use in listed medicines. Um, for a new ingredient to get put onto that list, um, that is another rigorous process to go through and very expensive. So new ingredients are not added very often. Um, it can take a full assessment can take anywhere from. 12 months to three years, depending mm. on the complexity of the ingredient. Um, you have to have full, a full assessment and a full dossier on that ingredient to be submitted to the TGA. Um, so there's a lot of investment for somebody to have a new product, a new ingredient added to the list. So the TGA industry talked about that and said that, you know, it's there's no incentive for industry to apply for new ingredients because you know it then becomes available for everybody to use. So what the TGA did was introduce an exclusivity period. So if you went to the expense of having a new ingredient approved for use, you then could have exclusivity to that ingredient for two years. So that, that is helping industry, I guess, with innovation of trying to get new ingredients to the Australian market. Because it's not about cost, like the manufacturers are wanting to provide, like I know here at Integrity, like we're wanting to provide ingredients and supplements that are efficacious and therapeutically beneficial for practitioners to give to their patients. It's just that some companies do all the heavy lifting and then another company goes, okay, great, thanks for bringing that ingredient in and now we can just put that in a product, which is where this incentive scheme yes. is, is available so that people can reap the rewards for doing that heavy lifting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The thing is, it's not just about ingredients that are listable, is it? There's also ingredients that are permitted on those those listed ingredients, a pre-approved list, but then there might be certain dosages and dosage ranges that they have to stay within. Yes. Um, so the TGA will have this list of ingredients to select from, but for some of those ingredients, they've determined that to keep it in that listed medicine space where it's a low risk medicine, they'll put limits on it. So like selenium, for example, the maximum daily dose from a listed medicine perspective is 150 micrograms. Iron, we have 24 milligrams and zinc 50 milligrams. So the, these restrictions keep these ingredients on the listed medicine approved list. If we went higher, um, so for example, um, currently we can have 300 micrograms, no sorry, 500 micrograms of folic acid in a formulation. Mm -hmm. But anything over that then needs to be a registered medicine. Which is where Elevit comes in. Came, yes, yeah. This is really important I think because practitioners might often look at 
the dosing of a product or you might look at the label and say geez it'd be nice if there was more iron or it'd be nice if there was higher iodine in there or and it will come into the daily dosing of that product so it might be that to reach the dosing of some of the other ingredients you need two a day and so for that reason you need to be dropping down the iron down to 12 milligrams or something yes. per tablet or per capsule so that the daily dose doesn't exceed the 24 milligrams of iron there and so i think it's again really important to be understanding this so that why certain amounts or why certain forms of ingredients are in those products is be again because of the regulations by the TGA there. So Sue, so I think that is probably a great place to wrap this up. It's been really interesting understanding and hearing you explain the intricacies behind listed medicines and the difference between Ostel and Ostar. And I think this is so interesting and important for practitioners to understand because these are the tools of the trade and understanding how these products that we're using work within the regulatory environment of the TGA and the importance of using listed OSTL medicines for the quality and efficacy that we can provide to our patients. So thank you so much for joining us on the episode. Um, we'll provide information in some of the quick links in the show notes on the Eagle website and for further information around what we've discussed I would res visit the website as well as the listings in the link to the ARTG. Now that we have a basic understanding of those Australian regulations, our next episode with Sue, we're going to cover advertising and what's your responsibility as a practitioner. And I can't wait to cover that topic with you, Sue. Thanks for joining me. No worries. Look forward to it. Thank you for listening to Eagle Clinical's Expert Update. For further information and show notes, visit the Eagle Natural Health website at eaglenaturalhealth.com.au. If you have a topic that you would like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on the Eagle website or message us through our social media pages. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with the latest episodes.